powerful here, you know, in California. <laughs> Where are you living? Cali? We live north of the city in San Rafael, just like 20 minutes north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, wicked. How good. Mate, how are you? What's going nice on? To, nice to see you, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, no, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. I actually mentioned it to um, a couple of my friends and I was like, get out. No way. That's sick. <laughs> Old school. We're, you're reuniting the clans. So good. Exactly. exactly. How is, uh, where are you down under? I'm on the Gold Coast. Have you been to Goldie? Fuck, it's so beautiful there. It's stunning, isn't it? Honestly, I, I'll actually give you a quick view of what my um, what my view looks like. You're just gonna hurt my feelings. Yeah, that's the ocean. Oh man, are you are you actually in Gold Coast? Where are you? Yeah, Goldie, like heart of the. I'm in Surface Paradise, so it's um, it's the heart of the Gold Coast. We went up to Byron Bay and uh, spent a little. I think it's surfing. Water goes wasn't bad. Yep, yep. My kid, yeah. my kids were little. It's, we need to come back. I really love that place very much. Well, hey, you welcome anytime. And if um, you drink, do you drink coffee? <laughs> Bet your ass, I drink coffee. <laughs> well, I know all the best coffee spots around the Gold Coast, so I can. Uh, oh man, we're in. That that sounds great. You know, what was so fun about being there. It felt like California a long time ago. That's what it felt yeah. like. It was really yeah. special. Yeah, I mean, a- I mean, the people are dodgy, you know. And this is coming yeah. from a sepo, but uh, you know, we're all in there. Yeah, hundred percent. And mate, and if I'm not sure if you're into it or not, but the surf's always good too. Beaches are great, so you've got you've got pretty much every type of element that you could possibly want in yeah. a in an active place where everybody is just active and wants to get after it. So typically, the sun rises here at half past four in the morning. So you've got kids going out to do nippers, getting on their boards, and doing swims and stuff at four forty five, five a.m. And it's just the type of lifestyle that I just love. It's just Dude, oh man, fun. I actually didn't realize the sun came up that early. That's really amazing. Yeah, it's it's wicked. And it just invites you to get out of bed. There yeah. are places that I've lived before where the sun, you know, won't come up until 7:30 in the morning or eight o'clock. Uh, and it's just it's it's less inviting, but getting up here, it's you just want to it just wants to drag you out of bed, which is great. I was supposed to be in Hawaii this week, and you know, it's um it's always so lovely to get up in the morning, get so much done. And I think one of the things that you have hit on around the rationale for why we are supposed to train to get out of the gym, spend those credits, go have, go have an adventure, not fitness for time, but actually training for something. And if the environment is picks it up, it's a lot clearer signal. hundred percent. And that, um, when I, when I actually came here, that's pretty much the reason why I chose to reside here. I've been here for 15, 16 months now. And I thought, what have I been doing living anywhere else but the Gold Coast? It's like you've got <laughs> beautiful hinterlands, just, you know, 20 minutes uh, to the west, which you can mountain bike, you can hike, you can do all that. But you've got the ocean right here too. And then everything in and around it, you've got beautiful gyms if you do want to train in the gym. There's like, there's just a, a plethora of activities to always get after. And the weather here is pretty much good 95% of the year. So you, you can't really go wrong. Yeah. The 5% are just fires, but that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's no exactly. different here in California. Well, I'm yeah. stoked to chat you up about anything you want to talk about my brother. I'm really excited. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on board and um, absolutely. Yeah, this is episode 33. And, and typically what I do on the, on the fiber podcast is I just talk to cool people about the things that they're interested in and the things that they've been doing to, I guess, help the world, progress in a positive way so you know for you i think every time i every time i bring your name up with my with my friends and typically around the fitness space that is like that's the mobility guy that's the supple leopard guy and and everybody knows everybody knows who you are and they most of them actually have read your book and have your book in hard copy i know i had one sitting on my gym's coffee table for about seven years so um, for you, I just want to kind of dig into just just very briefly. Let's um, and you probably get this all the time, but it's probably just a it goes without saying. But let's dig into a little bit about how you progressed. Like, what was your sporting background, and then how sure. did you progress into getting stuck into what you do? And I know you've done a bit of powerlifting and stuff as well, and you ultra strong. So maybe just get into a little bit about what you did growing up, and then what did that progress into? What that looked like for you? Love to. Hit me, hit me. What did you do? Okay, we're, we're rolling and going. Okay, well, yeah. he, he, here we go. Um, I grew up in Europe, a single child of a single working mother, 
and I lived in this little Bavarian town in the mountains, really nestled up against the highest mountain in Germany. And we rode our bikes everywhere. We had to be home by the sixth, you know, church bell. Um, we were feral in the woods. We had a kayak team. We had a ski team. We played soccer year round. I mean, we just literally, the person that we respected the most was the best all around athlete. So if you were just one dimensional, we just didn't think that was very cool, but you had to be, we always had a backpack filled with, you know, had a Gore-Tex jacket and a lunch and a, and a like a headlamp. And we were just free and, and we discovered mountain bikes early on. And so we were racing mountain bikes and just, you know, really, really functionally playing. When I came back to the States, when I was a freshman in high school, I dropped back into sort of very traditional American culture on the East coast and played American football and went to a big American school in Washington, DC and suddenly realized I actually was pretty prepared at, to be sort of in this formal athletics, you know, and maybe I hadn't had a lot of formal weight training, but I had been exposed to some because I'd gone to a lot of ski racing camps and had sort of understood this, this technical aspects of, of what it meant to train and to compete at a high level. Um, what's interesting is now I'll just put it a pause here is that, one of the great questions is how best to create athleticism in people and is the gym and formal movement training, is that really where we're going to have high level athleticism? And I would argue it may enhance and turn up some of those dials of athleticism, but ultimately we can get mistaken with sharpening our physiologies, getting strong, getting fast, getting powerful with problem solving, play, being on a team, right? Being, being adaptable, playing hungry, playing cold. You know, the gym is just this environment where typically it's one temperature, all the, all the quantities are known. I mean, even in CrossFit, which I still do this year coming up in January will be my 20th year of CrossFitting. And what I'll say is I love it, but it's all known. I know how many calories I can do. I know how many Watts I can put out what I mean, at this point, I mean, like you really have to surprise me to be like, I don't know what, what I should be. I should know what my domains are and how long this workout's going to be and what, what load would be appropriate for a speed. So, you know, one of the things that I'm grateful for was that I did have this sort of background of extreme play across lots of different domains and a lot of feeling domains. Skiing is a feeling sport. Kayaking is a feeling sport. Mountain biking, feeling. And then dropping that into some sort of formal American football and suddenly realizing this is really fun. I've never done this before. And, you know, progressing to the point where I think I want to play football in college. And um, I go to my university. I get a bunch of scholarship offers. I discover actually I'm at a big university and I discover doing a running workout in the summer that I'm small and slow, which isn't a winning combination across any sporting domain. And so decide then, hey, I'm going to shelf this American football dream because literally I don't belong here. I made the right choice. I ended up becoming a professional kayaker and river guide. So that's what I did in university through Boulder. I, you know, I was, I taught kayaking all summer. I, I ran role clinics. I was president of the kayak club at my university. We went on trips and then there was a time and this is, I'm much older. I'm 50 years old now. But in the 90s, there was not so much extreme racing happening. And so, you know, Red Bull wasn't a thing. I mean, he, you know, when we played this game, like two truths and a lie, you know, I don't, you know, probably done that drinking game once or twice. Yeah. But yeah. one of my truths is that I was actually sponsored by Camel Cigarettes in the World Championships for Whitewater Paddling. Camel yeah. South Africa sponsored this gigantic international race system. That would never go today and, and we would never do it today. But imagine you're broke and it's in the 90s and you're like, well, this is the this is the only gateway to go compete. So Let's go. Um, I fast forward a little bit. I'm paddling on the U.S. canoe and kayak team, paddling whitewater slalom. And those of you listening in Australia, you're home to Jessica Fox, who is the greatest paddler in the history of slalom. She is the goat and like 10, 11 time world champion. Her mom is a world champion. Her dad's a world champion. She's your reigning Olympian. She's unbelievable. So you, Australia has produced the greatest whitewater slalom athlete in the history of the world. Um, I'm paddling and I end up injuring myself. And I, that was a really important moment because I had this sort of neck injury, cervical injury that was completely preventable, but was of my own making kind of classic overuse compression injury. 
And that really set me up to try to understand what was going on. Like in my, in my paddling community, I was the first guy who brought heart rate monitor in. I was like, Hey, we should look at our nutrition. We were eating zone at the time. We were like, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be drinking diet Coke and eating rice cakes all the time. Yeah. You know, we were, we were starting to look at recovery. You know, I remember getting, um, uh, a, a small book that was like stick figure illustrations yeah. and it was about medicine ball tossing. It was written by Donald Chu, who was <clears throat> a brilliant coach and teacher in Stanford. <clears throat> Excuse me. And my friend and I started from the front page, went to the back page and there was no volume, no prescriptions, no methodology. We were just like, let's try them all. And we didn't paddle for like a week because we were so sore and so messed up and had like ripped all of our bleaks off, you know, <laughs> catching this medicine ball. And that was at the time where we really started to see the beginning of human performance. I remember reading an article about Mark Verstegen at Exos, originally athlete performance was on the cover of Outside Magazine. And I remember thinking, boy, I'd like to do something like that someday. This guy is integrating a lot of these things, which at the time were seemingly very low level for most of the people. People weren't fueling. The, the old model, I mean, triathlon is, is nascent and, and sort of emergent out of the 80s. <clears throat> Power bar our is like our only choice. And then there's like the cliff bar that comes out. And then there's like a, you know one other bar. We really don't understand fueling and sports nutrition. What we have is mutants breaking themselves, you know, healing up, breaking themselves again. So I heal myself, end up, paddling in a world championship, another world championship in Chile, where I meet my wife, Juliet. And that is really where the story starts. So I'm living in Durango, Colorado, racing, teaching kayaking. I've become a kayak rep at this point. And then Juliet is living in San Francisco. And she is a three-time world champion whitewater paddler going to law school. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm moving to San Francisco. So as they say, Sasha La Femme. And I love it. You know, I discover CrossFit my first year of physio school in 2004. And what was interesting is that in my first semester of physio school, I really discovered that the languages we were using around injury and rehab had nothing to do with training, had no follow along. They were like correlate exercises. I just heard Mike Isretel of Renaissance Periodization talking about all the mobility work that he's seeing. And what we're really seeing in the true, like the word mobility is my fault. That's, that's a word that I popularized because I didn't want to use flexibility or stretching. So we, we grabbed this word and only Eric Cressy had used the word mobility in a DVD he had made. And, but now we're seeing, for example, that it's just a lot of like busy work and entertainment work and sort of low level accessory work that maybe would have been given in a rehab setting. Can't be progressed. Can't tell if you can continue to load it. Can't add speed. Doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily an analog to some of these other skills. It's not a, a true sort of skill transfer exercise like the heaving snatch balance to the snatch, for example. And so ultimately what I discovered was, boy, there's a big gap here. And in my first year of physio school, I opened up the gym. I discover CrossFit, open up the gym beginning of the second semester or, or my third semester of PT school. And in that moment, really start to discover that if I take a lot of people and make them air squat and make them breathe hard and put them under load and make them go fast, and we changed implements and then we compete a little bit. And then you're under a little cardiorespiratory demand. Now you're under a little metabolic demand. I could make you show me who you were, that there was no place to hide in that situation. And so while I did have a critique of strength and conditioning, maybe not being the best arbiter of creating athletes, it certainly was the easiest follow along ancillary corollary parallel pathway to understand why athletes could or could not achieve certain positions, why they could or could not access certain shapes. And we really could, I told my mother-in-law a long time ago, I think it makes the invisible visible. And, yeah. you know, and so suddenly what was really revolutionary about that is that I have taught on every continent except Antarctica and everyone knows what a push-up is and everyone knows what a deadlift is. And so we now suddenly have a universal diagnostic language, a universal training language, a universal test and retest language. And it means that doesn't mean that these other languages aren't good. It just means that 
boy, I'm going to have to learn a third language, my sport language, my strength and conditioning language, and then a third rehab language, which may, may or may not ever stick around. It's like classic Greek is super cool to learn, but <laughs> not as useful as some of the kind of big languages in the, uh, that we're seeing in the world. So that's ultimately what sort of led me down, you know, this pathway of trying to understand this. And then at the very heart, you know, if you sit me down, I, I was just last week in, in Washington, D.C., at the American Physical Therapy Association headquarters. And if you pin me down, I'm not gonna say I'm a physio, I'm gonna say I'm a coach. That's what I do first and foremost. That's my day job. I just happen to be trained as a physio, but the thing I'm really interested in, first and foremost, was how do I help you achieve your physical goals, whatever they are, and find out the limits of your genetic potential, not your genetic potential as compared to the world. You may already be a world champion, but I want to find out how much better we can make you. And then suddenly that becomes very interesting because I'm working with populations. I'm working with universities. I'm working with big organizations like the army. I'm working with you know, national teams and, and, and seeing if we can apply this high-performance model of trying to understand this complex human physiology in a way that removes the doctor, removes the physical therapist, and puts the coach and the person in the driver's seat of understanding how their body feels and sort of reconciling their environments with what it is they want to do. So that's the long way around to I'm still obsessed 20 years later. I literally, this is all I think about. I made a spreadsheet this morning of games I was going to play with a team during a travel to Greece here coming up in January, like I'm like, oh, I'm not going to have much equipment, but I'll have some cones. How can I warm up and activate? I mean, this is literally, it bleeds through everything in my life. That's, it sounds like you're still just as passionate, if not more passionate than you were, say, you know, 10, 12 years ago when I first started hearing your name come through the, the CrossFit gym traps. Um, I feel like you really pioneered the interest or um the, the the growing popularity in terms of you know being supple and being able to find ranges that you never once used to be able to find what do you attribute the growing interest over the last say 10 years into this area because kind of crossfit came onto the scene for me in 2011 that's when i started and then it, it took this astronomical upward trend where people started just becoming really familiar with the term crossfit they started understanding high intensity functional movement they started getting stuck into their, you know, their prehab and rehab work. But it kind of, people are now, you know, organizing businesses around, you know, finding better ranges, finding more, um, more flexibility, more mobility, more of these things. But it's, it's almost become a staple part of the, uh, the, the language used in day-to-day -day terms. Whereas before it's like, oh, you, you played sport, you played rugby league or you played um uh, touch football you played volleyball it's like you know i work on my mobility these days like people right. you know their, their whole their whole paradigm of interest in getting um getting healthy or getting active is like yeah i just follow a, a, a essentially a, a mobility protocol that's what people want to do they want to become it's almost like the sport the sport of becoming flexible and mobile people <laughs> love it you know what i mean and, yeah I, I do and i think um, CrossFit was really important. CrossFit wasn't the first organization. Track and field, gymnastics, martial arts really led the way in understanding, hey, you're going to probably have to have your limbs straight. You're going to need to have access to this. And more importantly, if you're going to do the training, we need to make sure that you can touch these positions and control these positions. Otherwise, you can't do gymnastics. You can't do martial arts. You can't Olympic lift. You just can't. <clears throat> and so what we saw was that those the, those environments sort of automatically gave credence to, hey, I see that you can't put your arms over your head. That's going to make snatching really difficult. Or if you look at the warm-ups that our elite gymnasts do, I mean, Simone Biles, um, greatest gymnast of all time, we'll talk about it. I think she's 26, 27, like so old. And uh, she'll talk about because she's so old, and I put that in quotes, obviously, that she has to get to the gym an hour early to do her stretching so that she's ready to stretch with the young kids. So here we have the greatest gymnast in the world who's in her 20s, who's like, I can't, if I don't put this money in the bank and start to get my tissues in position and brain ready to receive this, I can't even do the warm-ups that the young kids are doing. So it certainly is a changing dynamic. But one of the things that happened with CrossFit 
was that we suddenly were asking people to do a lot of dumbbell and kettlebell work, which meant you can't just grab a barbell and hork in a bad position. So that was one thing. Two is that in order to be able to achieve some of the standard positions, and this is why Greg was such a genius, is that he constrained the environment to say, you're going to have to do things like pistols or squatting all the way down, or you're, this requires basic competency with a barbell where you have your arms over your head and you're going up and down. And so suddenly if you can't do an overhead squat because your hips are tight and your ankles are tight, you don't have the control and your shoulders are tight, your T-spine is tight, man, it, it, it's, it gets rubbed in your face very quickly. Yeah. And you know, you're the guy that's suddenly like goblet squatting in the corner by yourself, you know, to a box and you're like, well, it's not, not as much fun. So what people found was if we did these, and again, I come out of a language where an easy example is that there's a school of thought around corrective exercise and we use corrective exercise, which is sort of the mobility that people see on the internet. I'm doing mobility. I'm like, actually, you're just standing on one leg moving around. That's not mobility, right? That's just moving your body. What, what we saw a lot was that people weren't engaged in full range of motion. They weren't engaged in change of direction, full range of motion. So they were maybe they're strict pressing, but they certainly weren't jerking and where you had to have control from both sides. And they certainly weren't jerking dumbbells and kettlebells, right? And they certainly weren't, you know, jerking and then arriving in a deep squat position where they, you have to have all these ranges. So what we saw was that if you're doing cable crossovers and bench press and some of these other things, you probably needed some inputs because it was difficult to scale a cable crossover. It's difficult to scale some of those things. How do you regress that? How do you progress that? Mm -hmm. And so in CrossFit though, and in what I'll now call formal, more GPP sports specific training, sports preparation training is really the gold standard for me, not GPP, but sports preparation training is that we have enough tools to be able to regress and progress anything. So, you know, I'm like, let me introduce you to the landmine. Let me introduce you to the bent press. Like there's some way we can move your hands further and further out until you're grabbing the collars and we're pressing overhead. There's some way where we're going to be able to go overhead today. But what we found was if I did tempo work, okay, that's a staple of everything on the planet, tempo work and isometrics, which is just pausing the movement. And I could regress and progress loads and simplicity by modulating speed and and connect to connection start positions, then I had a set of mobilizations that I could basically deploy the manual therapy. And I'm an Australian trained manual physical therapist, but I was like, Hey, I saw the power of what happens when we just mobilize someone's hips and then squat again, instead of doing five drills that are squat like Let's just go ahead and regress and progress the squat because that's the thing we're trying to do. And then let's go ahead and do a what I call a position transfer exercise, which is what a mobilization is. So you whip a band on or you work your hip capsule or you get into your quads and suddenly your tissues are moving differently. Your brain isn't perceiving that your tissues are moving differently. And then you have this window of opportunity to go move, which suddenly made it easier for you to win a world championship, go faster, set a PR. <clears throat> what we saw was that we had this innate ability to help people win and go faster. And there's only two objective measures that I can really hang my hat on. Do you have the normative range of motion of a human being? Yes or no. Does your hip and shoulder do what every human being's hip and shoulder should do? Yes or no, right? Our limbs are a little different. I'm a little wider. You're a little <clears throat> narrower, but ultimately our bodies do the same things. The shoulder goes out you know, overhead, it goes out to the side, it goes behind, it goes in front, excuse me. <clears throat> and the other thing I can kind of wrap my head around is, can you go faster? Did you create more wattage? Did you create more poundage? So I can measure that. And that's the thing that matters. What the thing that doesn't matter was pain and no pain. And the problem with, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know why I'm, let me take a step here. Get my fired up. <laughs> I love it. One of the things that is good about the model that I use was is predicated on pain science and being able to change how the brain was perceiving what's going on in the body by either working downstream on the body, working on restoring. If, if your elbow doesn't bend, let's start there. If your quads are stiff, let's start there. If you can't get your hip into a hip extension, let's start there. 
we start to add in all these environmental considerations top down. We tell people it's going to be okay. We can still move. It's safe. We can scale. We can slow down. We can work on nutrition and sleep and all these other things. And lo and behold, we end up knocking out a lot of pain, a lot of chronic pain and persistent pain. Instead of having one set of variables, which was, let me just work on your pain. It has nothing to do with how you move or how you sleep or eat or interact or how you feel safe in your environment. We suddenly were able to take a set of skills, which I could continue to progress from breathing to hydration to sports nutrition. And one of the things we learned in CrossFit, I learned, and I still think some of the best coaches in the world are doing this. They're always teaching to the highest expression of the movement. So we don't just teach, yes, you can go up and down now fast. We want a skill that transfers. We want positions that are more effective at giving you more movement choices. So that requires more teaching. That requires more sort of nuance and understanding that, hey, you're coming in here and you can't do any of the things that your body is supposed to be able to do. So part of the fitness adventure is restoring skill and restoring range of motion to what you're doing. And that is when it took off. And that really like, you know, in 20, you know, what are we, Supple Leopard came out in 2013 and we saw people realize how subversive the book really was because we were suddenly saying, you don't need a physio. This isn't a medical problem. Your lack of range of motion isn't requiring medical intervention and neither is your common pain because I have a gym full of 100 people who all have something that hurts. So let's completely shift this narrative about who owns what. Let's give the keys to the castle back to the coach and the athlete and help them also decide I should get a doctor involved. I should get a physical therapist involved. But the rest of it, that's part of a training phenomenon, not just eh, I did more watts today or I went faster or longer today. If you put another kilo on the bar, it doesn't say anything about how you moved or your range of motion. It just says you put another kilo on the bar. Yeah. And do you think that was, you know, as you said, giving the keys uh, back to the castle and in the hands of the coaches and athletes, do you think that was what you wanted to achieve mainly out of supple leopard was this just a or was this just a guide for people that the biggest common uh biggest common mistakes or uh i guess a a, a, a part of being maybe uneducated in particular areas mm. or this kind of like what you i guess the reasoning behind writing supple leopard do you just feel like there was a lack of education in the space or was it like just putting the onus back on the people to you know take away like you said in the beginning taking away those other aspects that we don't really need to add into the to the chain, which give it back to the coaches and the athletes to start figuring these things out for themselves. Well, that was the first, I would say that, you know, run this all through the lens that I'm traveling around the world at this point and I'm seeing a lot of dirty laundry. You know, I've worked, you know, one of my favorite teams there is Port Adelaide. You know, we've we've oh, worked mate. with Port Adelaide and um, yeah. you know, um I'm, you know, the all blacks are a team of ours. We're seeing, you know, all of this incredible sport and really smart people trying to solve these problems. And what we recognize is the athlete is poorly prepared to be coached by the modern coach. The athlete doesn't know how to eat, doesn't know how to cook, doesn't know how to, you know, reduce this thing that we really hang our hat on called session cost. Can't reduce the cost of training. So they can be fresher the next day and have a, a better, more complete adaptation response, right? The athlete, if something hurt, they just were like ignored it or they put THC on it or they drank more bourbon or they took ibuprofen or they ignored it until it was so bad they couldn't do their job. So what we saw was, boy, there's this real opportunity to get athletes to own their 50%. So when they showed up, they were much better prepared. At the same time, I think our other model didn't work very well. There weren't enough physios who are too cl close enough to the squat rack. If you're lucky enough to have a brilliant physio in your gym and she's working out next to you, that's the goal. She really knows who you are. But imagine you taking that all that beautiful hair just down to the, some random salon and being like, give me a cut. You know, and they're like, what? And you're like, I don't know you, but cut my hair. Like, no one would do that. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. And that's literally what we were doing. We were taking our bodies with no context into seeing an expert who may or may not understood what we did, who certainly didn't have time to understand our complex environments, who certainly oftentimes gave out very low level generic, you know, prescriptions that worked for detrained people and detuned people, but certainly weren't appropriate for our athletic population. 
you know, and what we got out of that was, well, just don't put your arms over your head or don't lift more than, you know, X kilos above your head. I mean, just sort of ridiculousness. And what we saw was that when we gave athletes and coaches better tools, they were able to better integrate it into their own systems locally because they knew what the age was and the sophistication. They could jump on pain when it happened right away. They could recognize that, boy, we have a, a population that isn't very developed or we have these amount of tools. Or And so that hyper-locality where you have a coach who understands the people that she's working with, that is the real revolution. And what I want to do then is say, hey, how do I help you be better at your job? And again, run this through the the filter that Juliet and I ran a gym, San Francisco CrossFit for 17 years. And so I was a working coach solving the problems of people coming in to see us who had knee pain doing an air squat during our evaluation. You know, during our first intro session with a coach, people mm -hmm. are like, hey, I, or I'm afraid to move or I haven't put my arms over my head after my, you know, my hysterectomy or my, you know, mastectomy. And now I'm afraid the coach and the movement practice is the place to be able to uncover that. And I would say that in sports, the weight room is the last safe place that athletes have to explore and understand and tweak and nuance and test. That is, that is freaking wild. I love it. And looking at the tools, the tools that you just spoke about for the average person. And I guess this is just a, uh, maybe just a quick tip, but for the average person who's looking at getting into an exercise routine, whether that mm. be you know, going out and just playing, like just like what you said before, like extreme play, which I love to do on a weekly basis. I'll yes. I'll go and surf. I'll still play touch football. I'll race Criterion when I can. I'll still jump in and do ocean races, like swimming races if I can. Whatever's going, triathlon, you name it, I'll have a crack. And I love extreme play. Like I would prefer to do extreme play. I play touch football five nights a week if I was allowed to, um, if they actually had it every single bloody night. But for someone who's just starting either in the gym or going back and playing a sport that they used to do just to make themselves feel like a big kid again, um, what are three mobility recommendations or um, areas to focus on that someone could just easily implement? What are some just key takeaways for someone listening to say, hey, typically in the diverse range of tens of thousands of people that I've seen, you probably just want to think about these three things. Yeah. What we want to do is put that through the lens of when and where you're going to do it, right? And how are we going to be more consistent with the things? Because that's that's really bone-crushing consistency is where we make all these changes. So the first thing I'm going to suggest is that tonight, I want you to sit on the ground in front of the telly. So see if we can get start to get 20 to 30 minutes of ground-based sitting tonight. And what's going to happen is you're going to long sit, you're going to side sit, you're going to sit 90-90, and all those mobility drills that are on TikTok and Instagram, you're just doing in front of your TV, sitting there watching the telly. You don't have to spend that time in the gym. In fact, I prefer if you didn't do all that stuff in the gym. I prefer if you came to the gym, we learned a game, we played, we saw something in the internet, we messed around, and then we got right to work so that you could get the hell out of the gym and back to the place that matters, your life, your sport, your, your environment. What we cool. find also is that if you're sitting on the ground for 20 or 30 minutes, you can put your roller or your ball right next to the ground. And so right next to you. And so it sets up this behavior where, well, most of us are watching TV in the night or we're reading or we're, you know, on the email and you can just sit at your, you know, you're on your floor in your living room. <clears throat> and if that ball and roller is there, you can ask yourself, what's stiff? What hurts? What's sore? And what that does is that sets up this curiosity of, hey, I'm going to have to lost my, my you know gums and brush my teeth and make sure I'm getting enough fruits and vegetables every day. And part of this is, hey, let's see if I can get some input in. And so the easiest way in for most people is to ask, is something hurt? And what's amazing is that we have a whole bunch of really powerful tools to help people desensitize painful areas. And we can get into the weeds on what the science is and what's happening at the tissues. But how about this is people who feel better tend to want to move more. And when, when athletes feel better and are happier, they actually perform better. It's that simple. So oftentimes the easiest way is you say, if something's sore or hurts, we can spend five or 10 minutes noodling on right there. And it's probably just myofascial. It's simple. It's some connective tissue system, some muscular system. 
And we don't have to be very precise about it. We can find a sensitive area and then we can integrate some simple contract relax techniques. So my bias is that I was trained at the World Center for PNF at Kaiser Vallejo, which is PNF is proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, everyone, which means I'm going to use your body's position sensors, right? Your It's tension sensors to help it understand where it is in space and how it might move better in space. That's really what that is. So if you've ever put your leg out and built tension in your hamstring, that's a PNF technique. That's a small sort of you know, chunk of the whole neuromuscular sort of rehabilitative process that we might use if someone had a stroke or, a, you know, uh, you know, head trauma and we're using PNF to rehab them. But as principles, I saw and really recognized the application of these techniques and sort of the transitive nature, nature of these techniques is that I could suddenly get your brain involved. <clears throat> I could get your breath involved and I could make your brain perceive what was going on in your body very differently and have your body actually change its, its characteristics. It might move more freely. It might have better blood flow. It might have better have hydration. And again, all these complex things. But what I need you to do is find an area in and around, up or above, whatever sore. And if you put compression on it and it's sensitive to compression, you found part of the issue. You have a system that's partly irritable. And all we're doing wait for it, it's just putting in an isometric. So I'm putting in sort of, I call it a vector isometric. Instead of pulling on the, the muscle through the tendons, we're pushing on the muscle from a different angle or, angle or vector, and the body is perceiving that as tension the same way it'd be tension longitudinally. So suddenly, if you take a four-second inhale, then you contract on that thing for four seconds, and then you slowly relax over the period of eight seconds and you repeat that, you'll find that what was once uncomfortable or sore or, or, or painful to compression just feels like Switzerland again. Yeah. So suddenly now we have this really potent model to help you potentially desensitize a painful area, which means suddenly you're like, oh, my shoulder doesn't hurt as bad. Great. You also have shifted the low side of control back to someone so you put your feet up you're on your ground on your back you put your feet up on the couch you slide a lacrosse ball into your butt right into your glutes into your low back you do the same thing you stand up and you feel better and guess what that's so easy and you didn't need a doctor and you didn't need a physical therapist and you could ask yourself hey what did i do with my body today or what couldn't i do what's sore hey maybe just let me explore for 10 minutes right if you pin me down then I would say, well, great. Now we can apply those same techniques to any isometric position, lunging. And suddenly you're like, oh, I get it. Yoga is pretty dope. Yoga figured some stuff out. They're doing a lot of end range isometrics with the legs, limbs straight. You jump into Pilates class and you're like, oh, this makes total sense what we're doing here. So now wow. we can we can apply those same neuromuscular techniques to you know, stretching hamstrings or stretching your quads. The one thing I would say that we're seeing a greater and greater pattern of is people's inability to have hip extension, getting into a big lunge position with the butt on and control, just all of the squatting, all of the biking, all of the sitting that we're doing, we're getting less and less adapt as a culture at getting really competent at being able to extend the hip with the knee behind the butt, like in a big lunge or like a big sprinting position, um, you know, if you did something called the couch stretch every day, you know, I invented the couch stretch a long time ago to solve this problem of really doing these end range isometrics for people to be able to expose them to this hip extension sort of demand. And literally I think the couch stretch would be the one thing where I would hang my hat on. So sit on the ground, do some soft tissue work for 10 minutes, do the couch stretch and let's see where we go. Well, I was actually just about to touch on that. So I'm 33 now. Um, I spent, you know, the better part of 20, well, 18 years, I played competitive rugby league for nine years and then got stuck in a CrossFit, did that for the last 10, 12, 12 years-ish. And now my training volume has decreased significantly. Like back in the day and you're getting ready for the games, you know, you're pulling six-hour training days in the gym and outside the gym and on the track and in the pool and it's on a the lot. bike. It's a lot of stuff. And now no one, no one is working harder than CrossFit athletes to go to the game. Like no one's putting the, it's just so time intensive. Yeah. And back then I feel like I was less 
sore then yeah. now i'm 33 i've got you know other focal points i still like to play sport but i still get into the gym i'll do i'll do four classes a week and i will run maybe uh american i'll probably run maybe like seven to eight miles maybe once or twice a week just depending on what i'm doing so i'll probably train five 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 times a week and my total hours input into training would take up you know roughly about that same so but the other thing that I'm doing a lot of these days is I'm driving a lot. So I'm sitting, I'm on a plane, I'm on driving. My hip flexors have never been as tight. I'm constantly battling and I put, this, I, put, I put this down to like I'm training a lot less. I'm spending a lot less time in couch stretch because I used to couch stretch daily, like multiple times a day, getting prepped for every session. When I'm not in the gym getting prepped, I'm still sitting in couch stretch and now that priorities are kind of shifted and my focus on training and my, my being is, you know, I'm kind of shifting it into some other things. My hips have never been tighter. <laughs> Even now I'm training a lot less. My hips have never been tight. I'm sitting here in a chair right now and I'm yeah. both of my hips are on fire. I'm just thinking I need to get into cat stretch badly right now. <laughs> I feel the same you, way. Um, you know, what you're discovering is a couple of things that we want to make sure that, um, when we don't have the the movement variety and choices that we would typically have, right? Because you your old environment, you were younger, but your old environment just asks you to do a lot more with this engine. <clears throat> Suddenly, you start to see the impact of sort of environment on the organism, and you haven't adapted. You're getting all the signals that your body isn't going to be uncomfortable. But if you ignore that long enough, it'll go away. I promise. You'll just become stiff and old. You you can do that. You just ignore it. I don't want and to do that. <laughs> suddenly what we recognize is, wow, I may have to make some different choices and make sure that I'm putting myself into some fundamental positions as part of the things that I like to do because either the training I'm doing or my environment is suddenly enacting a cost. And look, you know, rugby players, you know, Auss Aussie foot football players look like they play footy. And soccer players look like they play soccer. And crossfitters look like crossfitters. And swimmers look like swimmers. So there's a pattern that emerges in typical ranges that we become deficient in, um, things that we keep an eye on. And, and that's the variation that I would expect to see slightly programmed to in the nuances of your training, right? Which means you may have to do, you win some rear foot elevated split squats or isometrics every time you touch the gym. And that's new for you, but we need to make sure that, hey, are you spending a bunch of time actually working in that hip extended position? And that may be in pressing overhead, you may need to put your front foot up on a box so that, that back leg and you're pressing from this sort of front foot elevated split stance position as part of your warmups or part of the things that you're doing. Just we may need to look and focus on some of these things a little bit. And that's actually very common as we pull back on the gas. Our body is sort of readapting to its in, in environment, nervous system. You're like, holy moly, is this my life now? Like, it just had. Yeah. Do I do? Do normal people feel like this? This is awful. Honestly, this is what's been going through my head for the last <laughs> few years. I've been thinking to myself, man, I was never this. You know, just I guess I never got as bad at DOMS because typically now I touch on things once a fortnight. So I might, yeah. you know, thrust her once a fortnight, whereas I was thrustering you know, maybe twice a week in some fashion, whether it be with a barbell, kettlebell or something different. Or That's right. Bag. So I'm, I, I feel doms a lot more, which is, which is interesting, but I also am feeling achy and I don't, I, I don't want to concede to the fact that it's just my age. Like that's no, one thing I've always wanted to combat. It's, I, I really believe it's the fact that I'm finding ranges a lot less often. So when I do do them, that's those right. ranges typically hurt a bit more. And then I'm also not spending the time finding those end regions in a passive, in a passive format as, as often as I used to do. I'm not sitting in couch stretch for, you know, seven or eight minutes a day, whereas I was before. And I, and I think it's more so the, the choices that I'm making. I'm adapting. So, you know, the swimmer will adapt and you'll get a body like a swimmer and your crossfitters will look like a crossfitter. It's like now that I'm sitting in the car, you know, going around and talking to people, I'm starting to uh, I'm starting to get tight in the areas that someone who does sit in a car, or a truck driver, or a taxi driver, or whatever it may be, I'm starting to get tight in those areas, and I'm, you know, it's edging me that way. So I need to kind of pull back and actually understand where I want to be. I want obviously want to keep playing sport. I want to keep surfing as long as I can. I want to keep snowboarding as much as I can. I need to make sure that I'm putting those parameters in check. And it's just me taking onus upon myself and then being consistent 
with those goals like you know like anything it's consistency and if i find my end range is sitting couch stretch every day i'm sure those niggles or pains will subside substantially yeah and you know you're not you wouldn't be alone to be the first sort of high level performer who suddenly has changed a little bit the inputs have changed a little bit and believe it or not the people who are listening to this who have transitioned this is actually more common than we think and one of the problems is that you have enormous engine enormous aerobic capacity you're very neuromuscular efficient and so you can actually do too much volume on these easy days you're touching everything every kind of 10 to 14 days and all of a sudden you're just like you haven't done any of the work to be able to handle or earn that volume but you can do the volume and so you end up sort of setting up this thing i'm on fire holy crap i i was able to do it but i wasn't able to adapt to it as effectively so Yes, 100%. You've just hit the nail. That's right. So some of it is, hey, I need to make sure that I'm taking more warm-up sets. You know, I, I literally used to watch – I remember I watched Jeremy Teal, you know, at an early CrossFit thing come in, and he's an old CrossFit, everyone, and he did like a 205 Fran cold. He didn't barely – barely warmed up. And I remember Sounds being like, like – That's like me these days. <laughs> I'm like – Boy, you, I'm sure glad you're enjoying that because that's going away soon. You know, you're just going to need to. And the second thing that we want to make sure is, is as people are changing and we have throwing an air message, it's a perfect opportunity to say, hey, what's going on with my blood panel? Let's, let me take a look. And then I really take an inventory of, are you getting enough protein? Are you getting enough fruits and veg? Are you getting enough fiber? Are you getting enough sleep? And then, so what's nice is, well, you are always going to be at risk of doing so much volume because you're a mutant. And I have so many mutant friends who can just out mutant me cold off the couch and then they're wrecked because they yeah. haven't had any exposure. Yeah. But it's a perfect opportunity to say, hey, where do I have some agency and control? And then that's a lesson we can actually apply to to real moms and dads, right? Because, you know, people go to P90X or, you know, or, you know, F45 or Orange Theory and they can crush themselves and it feels so good. And then they're out of commission because they crush themselves without yeah. being able to handle that appropriate volume. And in CrossFit's defense, you know, doing something like handstand pushups and deadlifts, you know, with 225, 100 kilos and 45 reps, that was nothing. That was low volume. That was pinche. I mean, yeah. last night, I think I power cleaned 225, what, 30 times? You yeah. know, uh, and like on the minute and the things like the volumes that we can hand, that was never prescriptive back then. And yeah. so I think as, as some of these volumes have gotten insane in cycling and swimming and all of these things, we really have to look at how do we reduce that session cost? And some of that is certainly environmental load, sleep, et cetera, et cetera. But it becomes more important. And especially I was just running it around to a gentleman at the store yesterday who, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan. And he's like, but I'm 60 now and everything has changed. And I was like, oh, has it, you know, like tell yeah. me more. And he's like, I have to do this. Otherwise I can't do the things I want to do. And I was like, oh yeah, you just don't get something for nothing. So it's not the long, slow rod of aging, but yeah. the, the frying pan does not get as hot and it takes a second to really come up to temperature. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. And I feel like it's, you know, for me these days, and I probably a lot of people are in the same boat. Like, you know, when I would go into the gym previously, my job was to go and train. So I would get in there and I could spend, you know, you know, the 30 minutes or 25 minutes or whatever I felt like on the day prepping and priming for my session. I walk into the gym at 5.29 a.m. to start the class at 5.30. Sometimes I walk in at 5.30 on the dot and I'm sitting in the car doing emails before I go into class. I just rip straight in, get straight out. And then yep. thing I know I'm back to work sit, sitting or driving or doing something like that. So I, I feel like it's just, you know, if I want to keep adapting and being able to live this lifestyle that I want to live, which is very active, I want to play sport, I want to go to all these things. I just have to spend a little bit more time prepping and priming. I guess I've probably just thrown the prepping and priming away. Happy to walk into the gym, do a 135 set, do a 225 set, go straight to like 275 and I'm good. Yeah. And let's just say everyone who's listening, that's a feature, not a bug. That that happens because everyone's time gets a little bit more compressed. 
And there's a lot of young coaches who are like, why didn't you arm up? Why didn't you meal prep? And I'm like, well, I have kids and a job and emails, and I'm lucky to be here in this room right now. Yeah. And what I su suggest is you may have to take the first few minutes as warm-up sets and you de-emphasize the time, but the first few rounds, you're building weight, you're building tolerance. And then we need to ask, where else can I be putting in inputs so that when I do have the opportunity to train, it's go. I want to get under the bar very quickly. I want to be able to do the thing very quickly. I don't need these long, exhaustive warmups, right? I mean, if you're spending 30 minutes getting prepped, it's because you are at a world championship and that's the, that's the demand. But yeah. man, if we could get you hot in the stand in the hottest shower you can, you know, you've done, you know, you answered, you had your cup of coffee and you just got your hips open before you left the house. When you got back to the, jo the job from the gym, instead of sitting down, you perched on a bar stool and you took those emails sort of noodling around and you did a little more walking and you got circulation and you were able to sort of manage that adaptation response to the training. And you had some inputs in there that allowed you then to more effectively go in quickly destroy, you know, and let me say, I learned this working in the NFL. So on game day, I'm like, how long do you have to warm up? They're like two hours. It's so great. I go onto the field. I, you know, I get hot. I do my yoga. I, like they're all chill. I'm like, tell me about practice. They're like, well, I have six minutes to get my pads on or on the field before we hit. And I'm like, what were you doing before that? They're like, well, I was in, I was in, you know, watching film in the team meeting. And then I had to, you know, I was like, did you eat anything? No, I don't have time. You know? And so suddenly you're like, Oh, you actually are like every working class adult. Who's just lucky to get to the gym Yeah. and coaches. If you're hearing this, we need to lecture less and start people moving faster. And that can be, we're going to get on the bike. We're going to start doing some breath holds. We're going to get jump roping. We're going to start throwing medicine balls. We need to get people warmed up and moving as we're talking, and then we can get to the thing. So we've got to do a better job of playing and prepping before we go, you know, go full gas. I love that. I love that. Well, honestly, I think we, we've covered so much today. We'll probably have to do another, another round. I'm going to have to do it in person. I mean, let's be totally honest. Let's go. Well, I'm actually thinking about getting over there. Well, funnily enough, it's been two years since I've been to the games, but uh, we're looking at putting in a team. So, hey, maybe we qualify and we come over to the States and we can do it. Do in it. Person. Do it. I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, cool. Mate, well, Kelly, thank you so much for jumping aboard. And um, I'll uh, send you all the details for this this potty and uh, I'll send you anything you need. I'll snip it all up and you can have it as well. So um, just wanted to say thank you so much and I look forward to having you on the Gold Coast. Likewise. Thank you, my friend. So fun. Awesome. See you, buddy.